Greetings in the name of Christ and welcome to Concord Matters, a show that seeks unity in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ by his word through the study of the clear and concise teachings confessed in the book of Concord. As Peter boldly confessed, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. We boldly confess the truth of the entirety of God's inerrant word, nothing more, nothing less. And we do all of it for the sake of a clear conscience in Christ for you. I'm your host, Brady Finnern, District President of the Minnesota North District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you for joining us on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. We continue with our fourth study on justification, the heart of the Reformation, justification through faith in Christ alone. I would encourage you, our listeners, to check out our previous three studies on justification with Pastor Greg Truey, Pastor Matthew Moss, and Pastor Mark Bestel. Because throughout those three studies, we have been bombarded by God's grace and the, the, the comfort that we have in Christ. And that is something for us to always go back to. Yes, we will repeat ourselves over and over and over again. But you know what? It is good to repeat good things in our lives, and there's nothing more important in all of Scripture than justification. Today is a real joy because we'll be going back to the scriptural proof that affirms justification. And I would encourage you also, our listeners, to keep these passages ready to go in your life, not only for the sake of witnessing when you're witnessing to somebody, but also for the sake of your own conscience, that when, when the devil tries to tell you, I'm not so sure if you're saved, when the devil tries to remind you of this or other people, even your old flesh, it's a good reminder for us to say, no, wait, Christ has died for it all. So today, open up your Bibles and open up your book of Concord and let's start confessing. If you have any questions concerning our study of the apology, especially that of justification, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Joining us in the Confession of Christ is a joy to have back with us Professor John Pless, Assistant Professor of Pastoral Ministry and Missions at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Professor Pless, welcome back to Concord Matters. Hey, Brady, good to be with you again. Enjoyed these uh, chats we've been able to have over the last uh, few months. Absolutely. Well, Professor Plus, I think it's good for us just to get right into it. We are in uh, the Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions, a reader's edition of the Book of Concord on page 95. There's a lot to cover, but also it is very simple, and I love the note. So I wanted to start with a note today on page 95, and then get back to some of our beginning questions as we get to this very important topic, and also obviously doctrine that we believe for the sake of sinners. So we are on page 95. The heading says, Scripture affirms this teaching, and we'll get a whole overview of what we're looking at today. The note, it reads, The Bible teaches that to justify is to declare righteous. In the gospel of Christ, God declares that we are forgiven, righteous and holy in his sight. Melanchthon elaborates on this point in Article 4. St. Paul teaches that justification is only by grace, through faith, apart from any works of righteousness on man's part, Romans 3.28. Lutherans insist that justification is not a process through which God brings us up to a certain level of holiness, which then qualifies us to receive more grace. Rather, is God's declaration that the dead are alive, the condemned are not guilty, and the sinful are forgiven because of Jesus. In contrast to biblical justification, the Roman church teaches that God's grace is, is a power infused to begin good works. 
and that justification is the entire process by which this occurs. This confuses justification, whereby God declares us righteous because of Christ, and sanctification, whereby he begins to conform us to Christ. Such a teaching causes grave doubts in the heart of the believer, who may never be sure whether he is truly justified. The scriptures provide hope, comfort, peace, and joy in knowing that Christ has accomplished all for us through his life, death, and resurrection. The Roman church's teaching leads to doubt and despair. We are justified through faith. Melanchthon explains at length what the Bible teaches about faith. Christ's perfect obedience to his Father's will, Galatians 4, and his sacrificial death on the cross, Colossians 1. One forgiveness of sins for the whole world, 1 John chapter 2. How do we personally receive Christ's universal righteousness and atonement? We receive these gifts through faith and faith alone. God gives us faith as a gift through which Christ's righteousness is credited to us, Ephesians 2, and our sins are forgiven, Romans 3. Melanchthon carefully states that by no means do Lutherans consider faith to be mere intellectual assent to historic truths. The devil and ungodly people have this sort of faith. Justifying faith is God-instilled trust that believes the life, death, and resurrection of Christ is for me. It is firm acceptance of God's offer promising forgiveness of sins and justification. Faith is always personal and individual. No one can have faith for another. Professor Pless, I I want to say kind of an amen to that whole thing right there. We could probably end our time right now if we wanted to get it, but I want to bring us back just to the simple question for our listeners and for you and I. Why is justification so important to the Christian? Well, I think we um, see that in the uh, paragraph the first paragraph that you read, where the editor stated that the Bible teaches that to justify is to declare righteous, to declare righteous. And I would uh, suggest that if you are not justified by faith in Christ, or through faith in Christ, you will always seek some way to justify yourself. Um, one of um, the German Luther scholars, Lutheran theologian Oswald Bayer, uh, did a nice little book called Living by Faith. And uh, uh, in that uh, book, uh, he is um, working something along the lines of an apologist. In other words, I mean, it is the apology to the Augsburg Confession. <laughs> but um, it, back in the, um, uh, particularly in the 1960s, um, and continuing through the rest of the 20th century, and now even into the 21st century, uh, there were those, even in the, excuse me, <clears throat> In the, in the Lutheran Church, uh, the Lutheran churches of the world who say who were saying, well, justification is not that big a deal. Um, that justification is only one, they argued, of uh, the many biblical kind of metaphors, as they would put it. And, um, uh, and, and so all of this uh, historic emphasis Going back to the 16th century on justification by faith alone, 
was seen as somewhat missing uh, the point. And this really came to a head in 1963 at the Helsinki Convention of the Lutheran World Federation. And for our listeners, Lutheran World Federation is a worldwide organization of um, Lutheran churches, started in 1947 uh, after the Second World War, and uh, the Missouri Synod, the Wisconsin Synod, and uh, other confessional Lutheran bodies uh, are not part of Lutheran World Federation. But in 1963 at Helsinki, uh, two things were striking. One was that these representatives, theological representatives uh, from these various Lutheran churches, uh, could not come to a common agreement as to what is actually meant by justification. And a um, second kind of feature of that, of, the, of that convention is that they were not convinced that justification really speaks to what they called at the time <coughs> the modern uh, predicament or the modern era. Um, and often in, in that time, it was said, well, uh, human beings are not so much interested in finding a gracious God. That was an old quest. That was Luther's, that was Luther's undertaking. Uh, we, are, uh, we are more concerned with how do we find meaning and purpose uh, in life. That's said to be the kind of the quest of modern person. Well, Oswald Bayer um, actually challenged uh, this, this construction and said that um, if you look at just the, the way the universe is arranged, put it in his words, uh, you see that the universe demands justification. It's forensically structured, he said. And of course, that forensically structured takes us to another big word in our confessions and in the Bible, uh, namely uh, forensic, a judgment, a courtroom, a judgment that is rendered. And uh, uh, Bayer then says, if, if you simply listen to the way people talk, they are all seeking some kind of righteousness, even if they don't believe in God. Nobody wants to be wrong. And so he says that human beings have kind of this default position of justification, of declaring themselves righteous, uh, as empty as, as that kind of uh, enterprise finally, uh, finally is. That it is ultimately only the judge of the whole world, the judge of the universe indeed, God, who can declare righteous, us righteous, and that is what God does uh, in his son, uh, Jesus Christ, who has fulfilled the law on our behalf, uh, suffered for the penalty of our sin on the cross, and um, has been raised from the dead. Uh, we think of that wonderful verse at the end of Romans 4, 
that this Jesus was put to death for our trespasses and raised again for our justification, raised again to declare that now on account of his work, we indeed are right with God. And this is a righteousness that does not come about on the basis of human works or effort. It is completely and totally uh, the doing of the triune God uh, and him uh, and, and, and him alone. Now, when we think of justification by, by faith alone is kind of the way we often uh, abbreviate the, the language there. Um, and you ask the question, why is this doctrine important? Well, one could say, of course, it's important because it is revealed in the Holy Scripture. <clears throat> but if we want to kind of push that a bit, and I, I think we should, uh, the doctrine of justification is important. Our confessions state, and Luther states uh, even before the confessions, uh, for two reasons. First, it is this doctrine and this doctrine alone that gives all honor and glory to God. He is the doer of the deed. We're not. So he gets all of the glory uh, as the only Savior. And secondly, this doctrine actually is the only thing that can bring comfort to terrified consciences, as you put it or terrified uh, uh, sinners, that Christ has actually taken my sin upon himself and has dealt with it decisively, and that is demonstrated uh, in his resurrection from the dead, and then immediately on the hills of his resurrection, uh, he sends his apostles to forgive sin. If you forgive the sin of any, it is forgiven. If you retain the sin of any, it is retained. Uh, and one of the ways I often put this in my own uh, teaching at the seminary is the doctrine of justification by faith alone is, is actually put into action uh, in the absolution, in the word of forgiveness. Because there uh, you confess your sin, and the pastor, as Christ's servant, makes a judgment. He pronounces an absolution. In the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so the absolution is really justification by faith in action. Now, um, there are a number of things uh, perhaps that we could look at here and, and you, uh, Brady, feel free to, uh, um, you know, raise uh, some questions if I'm uh, missing some things or there are things here that you might want us to go into a little more, um, a, a little more deeply. But why does justification matter? I would suggest it matters because it is only this action of God in Christ that will give us certainty. 
Uh, recall Luther's small catechism. How does he end each of the articles of the Apostles' Creed? This is most certainly true. And certainty is not something that we can make for ourselves. Uh, we do not confess at the end of each article, um, I am most certainly true, or my belief is most certainly true, but this work of God, the Father in creation, this work of his Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross, this work of the Holy Spirit through the gospel, this is certainly true. And it is certainly true because God has done it and God has spoken. And so the certainty resides in the work and the word of God. And both work and word of God come together in justification. Uh, justification is propter Christum, as the, said in the Latin, for the sake of Christ, um, on account of what uh, he has done for us, both in his uh, life of obedience to his Father, and then in willing obedience, he takes our sin, and as the Lamb of God carries that sin to the cross and dies the death that we merit. And on the basis of that, uh, we are declared righteous. Uh, we are declared right uh, with, with God. And even people who don't believe in God, as I said, want to be right. And people will seek to justify themselves. I only did what I was expected to do. Or I only did what I had power to do. Or, uh, you know, I only, you, you, you're assigned a task and you forget to do it. Well, don't you realize uh, that I had so much on my plate or so much on my mind? And we are always making excuses to justify ourselves. And the good news of the gospel is that that self-justification is rendered obsolete. You don't need to do that uh, because Christ has justified you. He has declared you. He has declared you righteous. Now, related to the certainty uh, is another big word in uh, the discussion of justification in Apology Four, and that is the word promise. Um, Luther and our Lutheran confessions regularly use the word promise as simply a synonym for the gospel. And you see that uh, from the New Testament. And with the word promise, uh, there are two things. Uh, first of all, the one who makes the promise obligates himself to keep the promise. We live in a world of broken promises. We know something about what it is to have somebody make a promise to us and then not keep it. 
And um, painfully, sometimes we have made promises to others that we have not keep, kept. But when God makes a promise, he himself takes on the responsibility of fulfilling that promise. Uh, and his promises, again, are altogether uh, trustworthy and, and certain. And so the confessions speak of how God deals with us on the basis of a promise. And the only thing you can do with a promise is believe it or disbelieve it. But faith lays hold of the promise. Faith takes God uh, at his word. Faith is trusting in God's own truthfulness. And that's the point that the, our confessions are really getting at here. Faith does not justify because it is a work that we do. Uh, faith is not simply, um, you know, Chesterton once said that some people describe faith as believing uh, 10 impossible things before breakfast every morning, you know, uh, as, as though I could just kind of get myself in the right frame of mind and uh, believe uh, all of these impossible things. No, faith is laying hold of what God actually is giving through his word of the gospel, through the promise. And, um, and, and so when we speak of justification by faith alone, faith is not a reference here uh, to a human work like even believing uh, historical fact or uh, believing uh, that uh, this or that thing happened. Faith is taking God at his word. Uh, Luther, uh, Martin Luther, in his great book on the bondage of the will, says that God does not want to be dealt with in any other way than promise. And, and so he gives us his promise. And the miracle of miracles is that this promise actually does create faith. Uh, I, uh, you know, we, this is what we confess in the third article of the creed in the small catechism. I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him, but the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel. And the content of that gospel is the promise that Jesus Christ has died for you and the life he now lives, he lives for you and that in him you actually do have what he has accomplished, forgiveness, forgiveness of sins. And Professor Pless, I, you bring up another term that I would encourage our listeners to continue to look for throughout the confessions. One that I have focused on specifically is for our listeners to look for the word conscience, and how do they speak about the conscience? As I mentioned before, and you, you re-mentioned re it, is, is the terrified conscience and the clear conscience. 
So you talk about that throughout the whole the confessions. Mm-hmm. This goes back to Dr. Dr. John Kleinig told me to do this during COVID. I did it. And it just pops up everywhere. But also now you bring up the word promise. And we think of promise different in our culture than what they're speaking of here. And I don't think in our world you say, well, do you promise? We're thinking of my action, but you're speaking of promise in the realm of God's action. And this is specifically on page 83 for Article 4 of Justification, where it talks about all scripture ought to be distributed into these two principal topics, the law and the promises. And it goes on from there to speak of the promises. Right. Can you do this for us in the next two minutes before our break here, Professor Pless? Can you tell us about promise as it speaks about scripturally and also confessionally compared to how we talk about promise and culture? Can you touch on that? Well, uh, as I said, the, the first thing that we notice about promise is that it goes back to Genesis, okay? Um, with what is often called the Proto-Evangelium, or the first speaking of the gospel in Genesis 3, where God himself makes a promise concerning the seed of the woman. And prophetically, that promise is echoed throughout the pages of the Old Testament, and uh, comes to fulfillment uh, with the birth of the virgin son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So when the scriptures use the word promise, they are talking about an obligation that God takes upon himself, and because God is faithful and will not and cannot lie, uh, his, his promises are taken as true. Where, you know, as I said, we live in a world where promises are made and broken. Uh, and um, and we even use promise sometimes in a manipulative way. Well, I'll promise. I'll promise you I'll do this or that. And yet we know the tragic record is that those promises are often not kept. But in the scripture, when God makes a promise, uh, it carries with it uh, God's own a certainty. He brings it. Um, he brings it uh, to fulfillment. And faith lays hold of the promise. Uh, faith takes God at his word. Faith says, Amen, uh, to what uh, to what God says. And that really is our uh, is our confidence. And it is the only way uh, to have this clear conscience before God. And, um, you know, when we try to clear our own consciences, it's like um, you go out in the, you know, in the morning and your windshield on your car is all kind of fogged up and you pull out a... uh, Uh, some paper towels, and you just kind of smudge it all the more, right? Uh, And, uh, and, and it becomes smeared. Uh, And, 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 and we can't make our consciences clear. Uh, Baptism gives a clear conscience, to use the language of First Peter. Uh, The word of absolution, the word of the gospel, uh, now gives us a clear conscience, because in that word of the gospel in that divine promise, God has actually dealt with our sin 
decisively. And he has declared us righteous. Well, we need to take our break. We are studying the scriptural view of justification in Christ alone by faith from the Apology of the Augsburg Confession with Professor John Pless. And we'll be right back. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Put this wisdom of God into practice by listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple, and faithful pastors from around the world help sharpen my faith in Christ every episode. I know you'll be blessed by listening and studying God's Word with us. Listen to Sharper Iron weekdays at 8 a.m. on KFUO and on demand at KFUO.org, the KFUO radio app, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome back. We are studying justification from the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, Article 4, with Professor John Pless of Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Professor Pless, you have broken this down exactly where we need to be. You've summarized everything that we've spoken about, re, um, reviewed it for us, reconfessed it for all of us as sinners, and I am I'm truly blessed with this. One passage that really comes to mind as you were speaking um, in our first half of this is 1 Timothy 6, verse 12, which I have never quite put into the justification realm, which I should have because I'm a pastor. Anyways, from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, it says, fight the good fight of the faith. A lot of times that's where we end. Fight the good fight. Fight the good fight. And he says this, take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. To me, that really gathers us with that understanding of take hold of the promise, not as a work, but as this understanding of it's already there, and it is affirmed throughout the scriptures. And, and Professor Plass, I want to read, which is on page 96, the scriptural passages that Melanchthon breaks down for us, and to receive more of your, um, your teaching on justification, because it is so important that when we speak of this, we're not just doing the, theology, you know, the uh, Christianese or something, that we are looking at what scripture has to say, and for us to apply it to the conscience, to the people, to sinners, to, to those who are uh, bound by sin and needing release, those who are, are guilty that need to be uh, not guilty, so forth. So I'm on page 96, and I want to read these passages and see and hear more of your thoughts and your teachings on this, uh, Professor Plass. So we're in number 93. He goes through a whole litany of rich verses that, well, ironic enough, uh, when we say it, uh, when we teach, uh, it's actually it's actually in the Bible. So here we are, um, page 93, and num- number 93 on page 96, from Galatians 2. We also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. John chapter 1. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. John chapter 3. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And also in John 3. 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. And finally from Acts chapter 13. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. And there's many other ones. Actually, you know what? I'm going to do one more on number 98. This is uh, Acts chapter 4. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Pastor or Professor Plus, I would just go back to when you spoke at the beginning, and I want to rehash and get your thoughts on these passages, that if we do not see Christ as a justifier, we will always try to justify ourselves. Right. Thanks be to God, Scripture speaks differently, and God's action is different as well. How do you want to break down these passages and, and the wonderful fullness of, of Scripture when it comes to justification? Well, I think you've already alluded to it, Brady, a, a bit earlier, where you cited something from the Apology, uh, where Melanchthon speaks of all of Scripture is uh, divided into these uh, two categories, the law and the promises. Uh, we typically think of that as simply law and gospel. We, you know, uh, we have a you know rich tradition in our Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, of uh, talking about uh, law and gospel and law and promise. Just another way of saying uh, the same thing. Of course, with the law, there is always coercion. Uh, there is threat. Uh, there is uh, demand. Uh, there is a performance. With uh, the promise, it is completely and totally about what God has done and what God is now bequeathing or bestowing on us. It's not about uh, our works, in other words. It's about God's work uh, in Christ. Uh, which is received by faith. And of course, there you, uh, you I think you cited uh, the Ephesians, uh, the Ephesians 2 passage, uh, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. And I would suggest there in that Ephesians 2 passage, this is your not own, this is not your own doing. Is not a reference to the grace. Everybody kind of knew that grace was not something that you could accomplish uh, or that you could do. Grace is always a gift. But the amazing thing here is that Paul even says this faith is not something you have done. Uh, this faith is not uh, just kind of convincing yourself to believe. That uh, this faith is actually uh, created by the promise which is precisely what Paul says in Romans 10 when he says faith comes by hearing and hearing by word of Christ. And, um, and, and so uh, when we talk about faith alone, we're really talking about Christ alone because the content of this faith is Christ and what he, uh, what he gives. When we go back to, you brought up the history of the Lutheran Federation. 
it is very easy for us to think, well, that was the problem then, but that's not the problem now. And you see this in kind of, I would say, generic language in culture. So in our in our congregations, um, pastors and, and laity and everybody else, that we can kind of assume that, well, everyone here knows that God loves them. So the issue is not that anymore. But I'm finding it quite unique, and I think this is a problem for LWF, and we see this in, in non churches that are not as strong in Scripture and the confessions, as, as we want to be, what we strive to be in the, in the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod, is that the, the language is more like this. God is love without the understanding of the depth of our sin, the need for repentance, and the, and the, um, the, the blood of Jesus that saves us. Like You can say God is love and not mention the blood of Jesus. And so can you speak to us a little bit about that? Because people kind of assume, oh, yeah, justification is no longer an issue, but you did speak to it. But the language is tricky because it sounds similar, but it's not. Can you can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, uh, that's an excellent question. You know, it was a, already back in the mid 20th century, uh, the Lutheran pastor Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who was um, executed by the Nazis in 1945, said that in the Bible— God defines love. In our day, Bonhoeffer said, love defines God. And, uh, and, and when we look at the scriptures, uh, the love of God is always cruciform in shape. Uh, that the love of God is made manifest in the fact uh, that he sent his son into the flesh and that his uh, son, our Lord Jesus Christ, actually suffered and died for us. Herein is love, not that we have loved God, but that God loved us and gave his son as an atoning sacrifice uh, for our sins, to paraphrase 1 John. And, and so, uh, uh, you know, any talk about God apart from Christ and his cross is going to be misleading and deceptive to be sure, but it is also going to rob the terrified conscience of the one thing that brings peace, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, making peace through the blood of the cross. In Lutheran theology, we like to talk about the extranos character of the gospel, and that's a great Latin phrase outside of ourselves. Uh, if I am looking in myself, I'm always going to be uh, left with some doubt. But if I look outside of myself to God in Christ, there can be no doubt about his love. Uh, he has actually accomplished it by his suffering, death, and resurrection and now he gives it to us in the proclamation of the promise, which is the gospel. And, uh, and that promise language echoes throughout baptism and Lord's Supper as well. Uh, and, it take, and, 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 you know, these are the gifts of Christ that draw us outside of ourselves so our faith is in Christ and in him alone. 
And so as we look at um, the rest of our time, it can be easily misunderstood that when we look at for, in, on page 98, it can be misunderstood that we see all these passages. They're all New Testament. Uh, this it gets down to us to be always ready, as you mentioned, the promise from Genesis chapter 3, that it, it isn't like, okay, Genesis 3 happened, and the Israelites, and, and the judges, and, and all, you know, the prophets, all of them, they basically were just kind of wandering around, you know, they weren't quite sure about this mm-hmm. promise, they, but they, but they heard that it was somewhere out there, but it was never rehashed, and poor them, da 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 but when we look at, I want to read these, this last part of our section that we have for today. And a reminder to our listeners, I would just encourage you to read this whole section that we have um, assigned for today, which is uh, numbers 86 all the way to 102, 95 to page 98. But I love how it ends here, and I want to make sure we get the fullness of this today. So we're on page 100, and it goes back to the Old Testament and talking about the promise. Habakkuk 2.4 says, the righteous shall live by this, his faith. Here he says first that people are just by faith. By faith, they believe that God is favorable. And he adds that the same faith gives life because this faith produces peace and joy in the heart and eternal life. Isaiah 53, 11 says, By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. What is Christ's knowledge unless it means to know Christ benefits the promises? He is scattered throughout the world by the gospel. To know these benefits is properly and truly to believe in Christ, to be, believe that he will certainly fulfill what God has promised for Christ's sake. Scripture is full of such testimonies, for in some places it presents the law. In other places it presents the promises about Christ, forgiveness of sins, and the free acceptance of the sinner for Christ's sake. Professor Pless, what does the Old Testament have to say about this justification by faith? Well, again, you know, when you're reading um, uh, those, those Old Testament passages you read, uh, certainly there are so many um, passages in the book of Psalms and uh, um, in uh, uh, Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah, uh, that are all echoing this theme. Uh, I mean, you know, the book of Hebrews in the New Testament says that many in various ways God spoke to his people of old by the prophets. But now in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Um, and, and, and so the whole of the Old Testament uh, is uh, also to be seen in light of this distinction between the law and the promises. Uh, you know, sometimes people look at the Old Testament and think, that's, well, that's just all law. And there certainly is a lot of law in the Old Testament. But also pay attention uh, to the way the promise is articulated. Uh, the, whether it's the suffering servant or um, the Lord is our righteousness in, in, uh, in Jeremiah uh, or uh, any number of other passages that speak of the friendship and mercy of God uh, toward sinners, which is not based on sinners' performance, but is based on God's, God's own action. And so as you look at um, the, the scriptural account, why is it so important for us to have these passages ready to go, if you will, in your life? Not as a uh, trying to add more guilt to our lives, but it's so rich, the passages we have messen- messenge, uh, uh, mentioned so far, that why is it so important for 
for all of us, pastors, lady, all people, to have these kind of in our back pocket, in our hearts, in our minds, um, on our lips, because not only for others, but for our own sake. Can you speak to that? Yeah. Um, first of all, because we are always under attack. Um, I mentioned the, the Luther scholar Oswald Bayer a few minutes ago, uh, and Bayer put it nicely when he said, for the medieval tradition, uh, theology was faith-seeking understanding, but for Luther, theology is faith learning how to endure attack. And um, the way that we endure the attack is to go back to the promises of God in Scripture, in our baptism, in the Lord's Supper, that take uh, take the focus off of us and what we have done and, and deliver Christ into our ears. You know, as I was reflecting on the question that you had raised um, uh, a few minutes ago about today's uh, situation, in a lot of American Christianity, and I would dare say even in uh, uh, some of our own circles, uh, we hear language like, of course, we know what justification by faith is, but what we really need to do now is focus on our sanctification. And a worst case scenario, you actually have justification confused with sanctification. Um, uh, but there's also then the danger uh, it, to throw us back to our own works, whereas uh, in the New Testament and certainly in the Lutheran confessions, uh, sanctification is always a return to your justification. Your justification is complete, accomplished, and done. And your sanctification is a lifetime of learning how to get used to the fact that now God has declared you to be righteous, and this is the way one lives who has been crucified uh, with, with Christ. Uh, and, and so we never put justification by faith uh, in the rearview mirror. It's always uh, present tense reality, and it is how we now uh, live. And, and, and certainly beyond our own life and, and the comfort of our own conscience, which is needed, uh, this is the message, this is the gospel, this is the promise that we are also to speak to unbelievers, uh, especially in a world where uh, unbelievers often think uh, that Christians are all about, uh, you know, their own personal morality or their own personal piety, uh, and 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 the focus is again taken off of Christ and back to the performance of the believer. Well, we need to speak to the unbelievers. No, Christianity is not about how well I'm doing uh, in my struggle for perfection or something. It is it is really uh, the confession that the light uh, to use. Paul's language in Galatians 2, the, the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So this is the gospel that we speak over and over again to ourselves. It's the gospel that we need to hear day in, day out, week in and week out. 
Uh, and it is uh, the one word that is the power of God for salvation that we are then to speak uh, uh, to unbelievers. And it's all about God's, God's righteousness, God's verdict. And one of the areas that I was hoping we might get into a little uh, today, and I know we're going to be running out of uh, uh, running out of time, is um, the fourth article of the Augsburg of the Apology of the Augsburg, Augsburg Confession makes such a big deal about the forensic, the judgment kind of character mm. of justification, and um, and how. Christ's righteousness is given to us by imputation, an important biblical word, or by reckoning rather than infusion. And that was the debate in the 16th century. Uh, justification was seen as a verdict that God would speak on the last day, but you never know where you are. And uh, as because in the Roman definition, um, faith is formed by works of love, and you never know whether you've quite met up to the standard or not. And so you just uh, hope that uh, you're doing enough good works to offset the evil, and that uh, God in his mercy uh, would grant you time in purgatory. Uh, to um, uh, uh, to be purged of the sin that remains, because uh, you you certainly see <coughs> that um, uh, that you are not uh, the person that you should be, uh, and 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 therefore the conclusion is I'm not yet justified. Whereas in the scriptures, the Christian can say without any uncertainty and without any doubt, uh, I am in Christ and I am in Christ uh, through faith in his, uh, in his promises. And it's all about being uh, clothed with Christ, present tense reality, even though the old Adam is still putting up a fight and is uh, daily to be put to death as a, uh, Paul says in Romans 6. But the bottom line is that it is through faith uh, that I am right with God. And that's where I, uh, that's where I live. Can you, can you can do a comparative? So the Roman Catholic Church talked about infused grace, and we talk about the righteousness imputed to Christians. How would you make that distinction? Because it sounds very similar and you've broken it down, but I just want to yeah. make sure even a little more clear. How do okay. we make sure that we're saying well, that correctly? Uh, if, if something is infused, it is kind of uh, poured into, uh, or you might even think of like a blood transfusion, right? Uh, where uh, a person is in need of blood and, and that is now uh, put into their uh, veins and, and arteries to give them new life. But um, uh, with infused in the Roman system, grace was seen as a kind of substance that would bring about uh, healing and, and, and transformation. Whereas in the New Testament and the Old Testament, for that matter, 
uh, grace is seen as God's favor. Um, God expressing his, um, his kindness, his, his mercy uh, to humanity. So it's not a substance that you have more or less of. It is a very much a, a, relational, uh, a relational term. Now, with the word uh, imputed, uh, imputed really means to uh, account to. Uh, if, um, if something is imputed, it is, um, it is given to me. It is, um, um, it is the old language that you see in some of the English translations. Uh, it was reckoned to him. As righteousness, it was um, accounted to him. It was put to your account, in other words, huh? And and so that now through faith, the the righteousness of Christ becomes my own righteousness. It's not something that is being, you know, formed in me little by little, uh, with the hope that at the last day I'll have enough to stand before God. Uh, but it is um, uh, it is uh, put on from the outside. That's the reason the New Testament likes to use also the language of being clothed in Christ's righteousness. It, 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 the, the, the feeling you have with infuse is that here's a substance, here, here comes the grace, and that grace can kind of run out. Exactly. Um, but, but with imputed righteousness, it covers you. Mm-hmm. So it's not like something, yeah, okay, okay. Th- th- that's very helpful, uh, Professor Plass. And, and I encourage you, our listeners, if you want more clarification on these things, because it's so important. We have a lot of terms we've covered today, a lot of important realities that you have as Christians. And the, the essence of it comes down to that you are declared righteous and that righteousness is imputed in you um, through Christ and what he's done for Christ's sake. Professor Plass, we have about a minute and a half left in our time. Can you bring it all back together and say, uh, to, to summarize this for our guests today and, uh, and to end our time on, in Christ? Well, I, again, I, I think you've already uh, kind of done that nicely, um, <laughs> that it is all about the work of Christ. And that work of Christ is most succinctly summarized in Article 4, as the promise, the promise that we are given on account of Christ. And, and, and then uh, the other passage, of course, uh, that, the, that Melanchthon likes to use is, um, is from Romans 4. In fact, the whole fourth chapter of, of Romans plays into this discussion. But I would suggest, especially verses 4 and 5 of chapter 4, now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, as, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but trust him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. That's right from the pen of the Apostle Paul. Uh, the difference between you know, wages, that's your due. Uh, faith, on the other hand, is not what you have acquired or earned for yourself. Uh, it is a gift. And in that gift, there is the right, the very righteousness of God. Pastor John Pless, 
of Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana, clearly confessing the scriptural truth of justification in Christ for you from the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. Professor Plass, thank you for being our guest. Really good to be with you, Brady, and uh, Lord's blessing. I want to end our time with this, these words from the great hymn, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. No merit of my own I claim, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. The Lord be with you. I'm your host, Brady Finnern. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.